into the world of digital sound. Hey there, people. How you doing? This is Ken. This is the Ken Burton Show podcast story. And uh, this one is by request, actually, because we, we had quite a bit of talking in the last podcast about a, a chap called <laughs> Tommy Boyle, who that's a made up name, and Tommy Boyle's daughter. And uh, I did say that there was another story involving Tommy Tommy's daughter and um you know a lot of people have been hitting me up with for fuck's sake tell the story will you you're driving us nuts just tell it now I'm going to qualify this right and just just say that any all part or none of this story may or may not be true all characters are fictional and none of them ever existed or did they it's up to you the listener to decide whether or not you think any part of this is actually true and put your <laughs> put your comments in the comments section on the video that goes up on your job it's true no i didn't say that i didn't say that right okay so we're going to talk about tommy's daughter all right <laughs> oh god tommy's daughter debbie oh my God. Now, take. I'm just going to take you back to an age where the Human League were like the top of the charts. <laughs> um, soft Cell were there, you know, and it was that kind of era. And, you know, everyone was into that sort of thing. I had this massive sort of quiff thing going on with my hair, the sort of Simon Le Bon-esque type thing. If I went out on a Friday night, I tell you what, I used to use a whole can of hairspray. And not hairspray, this stuff was called Falcon for men. <laughs> it was like fucking super glue in a can. The wind would blow and your head would move before your hair would. Uh, so... <laughs> Oh, good old days. It was brilliant. Anyway, right. Um, so, Debbie. Let's talk about Debbie. How did I know Debbie? Well, I, I knew Debbie by reputation because she was too cool for school, man. You know, she was just out there. She, uh, because of her, her family connections, she never wanted for anything, ever. Uh, the, whatever, you know, whatever she wanted, she got. Okay, easy as that. And, uh, you know, I remember, I mean, I wasn't the sort of person that could go and talk to her. Oh, my God, no. I wasn't good enough for that. And I knew that Tommy would have my kneecaps away if I did. Uh, literally, seriously, he would. So, um, you know, I, I stayed very, very clear of her. The, now, the first time I think I uh, came into contact with her, we were in a club. And uh, for whatever reason, oh, it was a private party. That's right. It was a private party and it was one of, one of Debbie's friends. And we got invited because of someone who knew somebody who knew somebody. And um, we, we went there and Debbie got up and sang. And she was brilliant. She had a fantastic singing voice. And, she, you know, and it was, I can't remember what she what she sang now but it was brilliant every guy in the place just like went wow you know and and Tommy he, he was just so proud to see his daughter up there singing and he, he's just you know the whole thing is just it was just incredible anyway so that was the first I came into contact with her I met her then uh about a year later uh, probably about a year later at a party and it wasn't a party party this was just somebody's house party I happened to go upstairs and uh, there was a girl at the top of the landing, like with her head in her hands, crying. So I, I, as you do, I just went, you're right, love. And uh, she was like, 
no, I'm not, I'm not all right. And started going on and all this. So anyway, I, d- I didn't really re- realise who she was. And I kind of put my arm around her and went, oh, come on, nothing's that bad. And I heard from the back of me this voice go, get your fucking hands off my girlfriend. <laughs> I turned around and it was this guy that I knew. And uh, he went, oh, it's you. Fuck off, Ken. <laughs> All right. <then. laughs> All right, I will indeed fuck off because I've now realised who I've got my arms around. And I don't really want to be there now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, um, later on in the night, that night she did come up to me in the kitchen because you know <laughs> all the best people are in the kitchen at parties and uh she came up and she said oh um look thank you for uh at least trying to you know be nice and i said hey you know it's no problem it's no problem I like and then uh, she just smiled at me and gave me a little kiss on the cheek and i thought that's interesting i wonder if tommy is now going to have that cheek removed <laughs> sake nobody tell him oh god anyway um so uh i didn't get to see her then right for at least what six months i think she went off to um i think she went off to france for a few months uh to one of these finishing schools in france anyway uh i don't know it could have been the sorbonne i don't know where it was but anyway she came back and uh she turned into a bit of a wild child and we were in the pub one night me and the boys right? and there's about six or seven of us sat around a table and the guy comes over and he the chap we know and he says uh hey you lot of um you lot have got a job to do this weekend and we went what really what is it he said you're working for tommy oh right okay well that's fair enough who, do, who does he want us to go and uh follow or who does he want us to you know be back up for or what car does he want nicked or whatever <coughs> he said uh now nah, this one's a bit of a special I said okay so uh what what do we need to do right go and see this guy and uh you know he was guy that worked for tommy and he'll explain what you need to do I said oh okay so we went over and seen him like that night and he said right okay i'll tell you what's going down here Tommy's daughter, right, Debbie, is off to London for the weekend uh, to a friend of hers house. And uh, there's a bit of a party going on. And then, like, you know, she'll be she'll be going on the Friday. She'll be back on the Monday. And you guys are basically going to make sure she doesn't get in any trouble. Uh, we were like, say what now? It, Tommy couldn't send any of his own people because they're all suited, booted and far too fucking old. He needed people that were her age that could kind of slot in with the whole, you know, scene that she was going into and just kind of, you know, be around. So, like, oh, OK. So what's the story then? Right. Well, we know where she's staying. She's staying at this girl's house. Uh, there's a hotel just down the road. Tommy's going to put you guys up in the hotel. You guys take it in turns to make sure that absolutely fuck all happens to her or else you are going to have a real problem. <laughs> and we were kind of thinking about it and we thought, oh, actually, that's not bad, is it? Oh, it's a free weekend, isn't it? In London, for Christ's sake, down the smoke. All drinks paid for, hotel paid for, and we get to go to a party. Yay! Sounds like fun. <laughs> oh, 
God, so naive. Right, so anyway, the Friday came and we'd all like packed and put our best gear on and everything. And, you know, we were going down in one car. She was going down in a Merc, like Tommy's Merc. Um, and like Tommy's driver was going to take it down. So we followed them down there. We were, we got there and checked into a hotel. It's all right. It's not a bad place. And, um, you know, it was, you know, they were, I think they were a little bit shocked to see us, to be honest. I don't know what people they usually got at this hotel, but it weren't a, a, a bunch of scruffy bastards from Coventry, that's for sure. So anyway, we we checked in, went to the rooms, and we were having to share rooms, you know. I mean, oh, I'm not saying it was cheap, but I just hate that. Anyway, uh, we were we were having to share a room, and I was sharing with a guy who I knew really well, and uh, he was, you know, saying, oh, that's, that's a real problem at the moment, Ken. Well, why? It's because I got a real bad dose of flatulence, <laughs> and he did. I wasn't joking. It, he was. He'd got some infection. <laughs> the doctor had put him on pills for it. <laughs> it made him fart all the fucking time. <laughs> I mean, every. I'm in the car on the way down there. <laughs> what you were getting was like, you know, a nice radio and you're. And and it, you'd you'd be hearing uh, you know a bit of Human League or whatever, and you'd hear it. <laughs> oh fuck off, will you? And all the windows had open. And anyway, I am to be shown a room with the dirty bastard. Right. So anyway, first night right is the Friday night, <clears throat> and what we're supposed to be doing is uh, we've got her itinerary, and her itinerary is a she's going to see a friend of hers. She's meeting her in a pub. And they were in France together and all the rest of it. So they're going off and we're just like meant to go to the pub, just keep an eye, to keep a distance, but keep an eye. She'll know we're there and she knows why we're there. Um, She doesn't like it, but, you know, she does what her dad tells her. So anyway, we went to the pub, seven o'clock, she ain't fucking there. Half seven, she ain't there. Eight o'clock comes and we're starting to worry. Have we got the right pub? Have we got the right information? So anyway, we phone back to Coventry and we say, look, she ain't here. And, you know, this is supposed to be what she's doing. She's not fucking here. And he's right. Okay, let me let me try and work something out. No, I'll get back to you. Anyway, we stayed in that pub and uh, absolutely nothing. Half past 10 comes and we get, you know, a bit pissy at this point. So we phone him again from the pub. So, look, she still hasn't come. I, don't, I really don't know what we're supposed to be doing now. And he said, yeah, I don't know. All right, I tell you, I tell you what, um, her dad uh, can get hold of her. So, you know, l- let her dad get hold of her because she's got a pager. And I don't know if you guys know what pagers are, but they were a thing that used to be around in those days, pre-mobile phones. Before anyone had a mobile phone, people had pagers. Uh, only if you could afford it, mind. So, anyway, he got her on the pager and uh, she phoned she phoned in and said, oh, I'm at a different pub. The plan changed and she got a bollock in and all that. And we got another phone call, you know, to say, look, you know, get down to this other place because she's down there. Well, anyway, by the time we got there, the place was absolutely fucking buzzing. I mean, it was heaving. But the place, I reckon this pub would have held about 100 people and there were about 300 in it. Right. It was one of those places. So we we couldn't just sit at a table and watch from a distance. We had to be in this 
melee of fucking people bashing into each other and spilling drinks and oh for fuck's sake it was a nightmare anyway we managed to we got ourselves a few beers like um we kind of decided to split up and there were six of us so we split up into twos and we sort of went around different areas of this pub and then a couple of the boys spotted up with a mate and they beckoned us over like and we went, we went over and she sat in a private booth, right, with two blokes, one either side of her. Well, A, one of them had his hand on her knee, right, and, and B, you could just tell she was off her fucking head. She was gone. I mean, I, I don't know whether it was drugs or booze, but she was pissed, absolutely pissed. So anyway, we, we took a wander over. And uh, we were saying, all right, Debbie, how's it going? It was, I'm fine. I said, <laughs> yeah, fine. Um, where's the friend you're meant to be with? I don't know. She fucked off. <laughs> and then this guy who she was with went, uh, excuse me, excuse me. I don't know who the hell you think you are, but we're talking to this young lady. Why don't you kindly feck off? At which point he uh, was grabbed very unceremoniously around his uh, granddad's shirt collar that didn't have a collar and lifted off <laughs> lifted off the seat <laughs> and then pushed towards uh, the door. And uh, the other bloke who was, who was next to him was like, oh, bloody hell, what the hell is going on? I said, what the hell? <laughs> and we were like, you better fuck off, mate. <laughs> so he did. Um, uh, we got a hold of Debbie and um, we didn't know what to do with her. She was off her head. She was off her head. We took her outside. She puked on the floor. Um, she was absolutely off her head completely. We had no idea, you know, whether or not to take her back to the house, whether or not to take her to the hotel or what to do, you know. We just had no clue at all. So we thought, right, best thing we can do is phone this in and say, look, you know, we're going to take her back to the hotel. So we did. And the the message we got back was, if any of you fuckers lay a hand on her... <laughs> Oh, no. So anyway, um, what we did was we took her back to the hotel and there was, a, there was a receptionist there. And she was like, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm not having this. No, no, no. You cannot bring in Totty back to the hotel. It's not not really what we're here for. So anyway, we had to slip her 50 quid to shut the fuck up. And uh, we took Debbie upstairs and uh, we put it in a room uh with two of us like sat in chairs in this room all night watching her sleep because <laughs> there's nothing else we could do we couldn't we couldn't just like leave one of us because that would be open to all sorts of abuse we couldn't like <laughs> get into bed ourselves <laughs> so anyway we left her following morning now, luckily, I'd, I'd, I didn't take part in that, and I'd had a good night's sleep. So, following morning, I wake up, and it must have been about, know, about 8 o'clock, and uh, I went down for breakfast, got myself something to eat, went upstairs, knock, knock, knock on the door, and uh, the boys answer, hello, where is she? Oh, she's in the bathroom, trying to get herself sorted, really. And she came out and was like, you know, 
oh, I just haven't got a clue what happened last night. Said, I don't, I don't really know what happened. I don't know if somebody flicked me something or what, but I was just gone. Right, the tune comes in. Uh, so at this point, we uh, we got her cleaned up. We got her something to eat. We, we found out where she was staying. We found the house and uh, her mate was, you know, great. Bring her over. So we got outside, got in a taxi. And we shot off to her house. And uh, we basically left her there. Uh, now, we knew Saturday night was the night of the party. And we confirmed with her mate where the party was. And, uh, you know, the fact that we were going to be there. There were six of us. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I fully understand that. You know, um, it was explained to me. And, uh, you know, to be honest, it'd be great to have some security there. So we were like, oh, let's, you know, we're not really here as like bouncers or anything, but we're, we're here to protect Debbie. So anyway, we spent the whole day uh, just kind of pissing around. Two of the guys, because Debbie had phoned us and said she was going shopping. So two of the guys uh, went with her and shadowed her while she was shopping. The, the rest of us four. We just hung around London, really, and just, uh, you know, messed about a little bit and went to see a few of the sites. And, you know, anyway, we got back to the hotel about five. And uh, I think we we decided we'd get somewhere to eat about six and we head over to their place about seven. <clears throat> so we did that. And, um, you know, we're all kind of, you know, suited and booted. I mean, it's a it's a decent do, you know, people are going to expect us to be looking, you know, fairly sharp. So we've all got suits on. And uh, we got in a cab, shot off down to uh, where this party was and stood there around the door. Now, there's already two bouncers on the door, but they knew we—they uh, knew to expect us. Now, of course, as soon as they looked at us, they went, yeah, you're the commentary boys. Yeah. All right. In you go. Uh, and by the way, if you need any backup, if there's any shit going down, like, give us a shout. And we were like, well, thoroughly nice fucking blokes. So anyway, we're in there and this place was... Uh, I'd say it was kind of a club. It wasn't, well, I think it was a club. To be honest, I think it was a gay club, but it was a club. It was in central London. And uh, I won't mention where it was, but it was really kind of, even by the time we got there, there was a lot of milling around. There was a lot of music going down. There was a lot of people, you know, and, you know, people were saying to us, oh, hi, how are you? And everyone was just really, really fucking friendly, which is unusual for London because nobody speaks to each other in London. No one ever does. So especially strangers. So, you know, we were really like quite pleased to be there. And uh, a couple of guys come up to us at the bar and they said, you guys from Coventry? Well, actually, you guys from Coventry? Yeah, yeah. Oh, bloody delightful. You're here to protect Debbie, are you? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're just here to shadow her, you know, just make sure she's okay. Oh, well, that's bloody marvellous. Let me buy you guys a drink. You know, all right, okay. So anyway, we uh, we kind of took it easy, stayed on the mineral water a little bit. Um, Debbie came in with her mate, whose birthday it was. And of course, the place just erupted, you know. Rounds of applause, happy birthday being sang, uh, loads of people bringing presents over. You know, it was it was really a, quite a kicking uh, night. And I tell you what, Debbie looked fucking amazing. She probably had the shortest skirt I have ever seen a girl wear in my life. It was, oh, anyway, and her mate wasn't bad either. Now, they went straight over to a, a private booth that they'd got. And uh, there were maybe six or seven of them in this booth, all girls. 
and they all, you know, they could have been a girl group, you know, they were just amazingly fantastic group. So anyway, we kept an eye out on things and uh, about, I don't know, it must have been about 10 o'clock. There was a, everyone's getting highly pissed. Debbie and her, her mates are just drinking champagne. They're just whopping champagne down like you wouldn't believe. And uh, it must have been about 10 o'clock. One of the bouncers came over and he said, uh, you guys got a set? I said, yeah, sure. So said, um, the girl you're meant to be looking after, yeah, she's in the ladies doing white powder. Oh, for fuck's sake. Bolivian marching dust. Oh, fuck. Right, okay. So, I mean, we're all blokes. We can hardly go in there. And it's, I said, like, how did you know? So oh, one of the girls at works here has just come out and told us. Oh, fucking hell. And okay, so we'll keep an eye on her. It's not really for us to intervene, but, you know, there you go. About half an hour later, all of these girls are on the dance floor, strutting their fucking stuff. And, uh, you know, the boys are all kind of, you know, rubbing up against them and all this. Um, one one guy was getting just well too friendly. Um, and... <laughs> My mates with the flatulence problem, <laughs> he went over and, and he, he just went, uh, just back off a bit, mate, will you? And, uh, the, you know, the, whatever the guy said, and I would imagine he, he just called him a fucking oink or something. He was one of these posh twats. And he, he called him something. And he, he was removed from the dance floor towards our direction and just kind of pushed into us. Well, we uh, we grabbed him, myself and another guy, and just escorted him to the door. As we're doing so, a couple of his mates came over who, uh, you know, were very unhappy at the fact that we were escorting this guy out. And they were like, oh, who the fuck are you? Do you, you do realise you're going to be dealing with the rugby team if you take us on? Yeah, sure. Right, fuck off. So anyway, they, they were kicking off a little bit. The bouncers had been made aware of our predicament. So uh, there were only two of the bou- two bouncers that night. So anyway, one of the bouncers comes over and he, he, he grabs this guy who we've got in an arm lock and just drags him towards the front door. And he just says to us, like, don't engage these fuckers in conversation. Just chuck them out. That's the only way of dealing with it. So, right, okay. So the guy that had been Larry to us as well, claiming to be Mr. Fucking Rugby Player, he was dragged out by his ponytail. And, oh, fucking hell. Oh, yeah, I've got to tell you. Right, we we grabbed him by his ponytail and started dragging him towards the door. And then I didn't see this, but the boys told me about it afterwards. His mate tried to intervene. My mate grabbed his ponytail and it came off in his hand. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> he got a false ponytail on. <laughs> anyway, so a couple of these guys get thrown out the door and then uh, Debbie's mate, uh, came over to us and she's like what the fuck are you doing you oinks what the fuck are you doing he's a bloody good friend of mine he should be allowed what are you doing you ruffians you know and all this stuff so anyway we said look you know we're here for a reason I'm sorry but we are and so this this girl just said uh, turned around and said well Debbie if your friends are this much of a problem maybe they should just leave and maybe you should bloody take them with you maybe you should go as well and of course, we're then thinking, oh shit. And then birthday girl pipes up and says something along the lines of, hey, Miranda, just shut the fuck up. You know, and uh, like, 
Miranda's obviously not happy about this either. So the bouncer grabbed Miranda and threw her out as well, which we thought was pretty good. I mean, we'd have never thrown a girl out. <laughs> threw her out as well. So anyway, <coughs> night goes on. Things are getting more and more leery. One or two of the boys are getting a little bit over the top. We're dealing with them. All right. The the girls are getting wild. A couple of the guys that we're with, admittedly, are getting a little bit overwrought with the amount of girls that are coming up and rubbing their fannies against them. You know, uh, I mean, uh, you know, a bit of rough in an environment like that. It's a babe magnet. I'm afraid it just is. So, you know, a couple of the guys that we were with, actually, at least four of us <laughs> We're on the dance floor as well, dancing with various girls, and there was snogging going on in the back. And uh, you know, anyway, um, it was about midnight. I guess it was about midnight, and the, this thing we knew was going to go on till about two, when we realised we'd lost Debbie. And uh, I, somebody came to me and grabbed me and said, "Oh, De- Debbie's gone AWOL." So right, okay, oh fuck's sake. So we went to the bouncer, and we said, "Look." Did she come out? He went, no, she didn't come out here, but the fire escape's open. But you should be all right because it just goes into an alley, like, and they can't get out of there. Oh, right, not without, you know, big gates being opened and shit. So, oh, right, okay. So we went out to the uh, to this alley. Debbie is up against the wall being fucked by some bloke. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe it. I just, I looked at one of the guys that was with, and I just said, we're fucking dead. We're dead. We're out of it. So anyway, we grabs this guy, cock in hand, like, and escorted him through the nightclub and towards the front door with his cock out. All right, we didn't give him an opportunity to put it back in. <laughs> so we handed him to the bouncer, who very kindly threw him, and I mean threw him, to the curb. <laughs> and uh, a couple of us were kind of with Debbie, who had her knickers around her ankles. And, oh, God, man, it was not a good sight. She was again out of it. She was coked out of her fucking head. She was basically then trying to snog one of us, you know, and it was just it was just madness. It was absolute madness. Anyway, Debbie's friend came out there and said, what the fuck? You know, I said, well, look, Debbie was like, with some bloke. And she, she was just absolutely beside herself so she said right okay uh grab grab debbie right one of you is gonna have to sit with her all right just sit with her now debbie's friend seemed relatively sober considering it was her birthday and uh we took her back in and you know we sat her down in this private booth and she was sat with her uh, sorry, my my mate was sat next to her, and then I was sat the other side next to birthday girl because she'd asked me to stick around because some arsehole was trying it on with her. Said so, uh, anyway, so the, a couple of guys were coming over and going, "Hey, birthday girl, how about a snog, huh? What about a snog, huh?" And she was like, "Oh, no, thank you, no, thank you. I don't think so. I think my boyfriend here would be rather upset." <laughs> Looking at me, and I'm thinking, "Oh, fucking hell! Now I'm an actor." great <laughs> so, uh, a little while after that a couple of guys were coming up and saying uh so how long have you known uh how long have you known debbie and i thought right uh well you know a little while and i was making all sorts of bullshit up and i was trying to keep the champagne flowing and we were trying to you know like 
make sure she was having a good birthday and stuff. And oh god, I couldn't I couldn't stop her. She leaned over and snogged me. And I couldn't do anything about it. I mean, what could I do? I was just she just leaned over and snogged me. And then she asked me if I was coming back to the house. And I said, well, of course I'm coming back to the house because we are there to escort Debbie. So we will be escorting Debbie back to the house. And then she was like, well, are you going to be escorting me? And oh, fucking hell. Oh, no. This is going to look so bad. I mean, so far, to sum up the evening, the first night we were there, we couldn't fucking find her. The second night we were there, she gets off her tits on fucking cocaine and gets shagged in the bloody... (laughs) Gets shagged in the alley by some guy. I mean, we're really doing very well at the moment as bodyguards, aren't we? I mean, we're just so fucking brilliant. So, and now, I'm... Knocking off her best mate. Oh, crap. Anyway, we get back to the house. She then explains that mummy and daddy have gone away to Aspen for the week. And uh, she's got the house to herself, which is why, you know, Debbie's staying there. So we went in and we all, like, sat down. We had a drink and, uh, you know, a couple of other people turned up who were followers from the party. And so the party just continued basically back there. Debbie went uh, up to her room because she was just about out of it. And one of the guys stood by the door to make sure nobody went in. (laughs) Much to the surprise of a number of people and the amusement of a number of people who were kind of, uh, (laughs) who were kind of walking past, you know, uh, you know, going to the bathroom and would see some guy stood outside a door, you know, looking like a bouncer. So anyway, me and, uh, I won't name her, me (laughs) and, got um, relatively friendly and we had to keep up this facade that I was her boyfriend because the guy that she was trying to avoid had followed us back to the house. And I said to her, let's just kick him out. And she said, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> so anyway, I ended up kind of sat on the sofa snogging this bird after night or after half the morning as it was by then, uh, much to the annoyance of this guy. Uh, a couple of the other guys had got off as well. And poor my mate with the flatulence ended up stood outside Debbie's door all night. <laughs> right. By five o'clock, everybody's dead, right? Everyone is lying on the floor, either asleep because they're coked out of their fucking arseholes or they are pissed, right? Uh, the whole place smells like a ganja factory and, uh, you know, it's wrecked. I mean, the house is... There is... There is beer all over the place. There, there are like antique oak furniture pieces with rings on them from where people have left beer cans. <laughs> oh God! Anyway, I'm just glad it wasn't my house. And um, there was a painting on the wall, and somebody had thought it was very funny to fag burn a hole into the the guy's mouth and to leave the fag sticking out of his mouth out of this painting. Now, I I can't tell you, but it fucking looked expensive to me. (laughs) So I'm not an art critic, but Jesus Christ. So anyway, we grabbed some shot eye, all right? Uh, About probably midday, we woke up, and everybody kind of got their shit together. And uh, Debbie was, you know, she was absolutely beside herself again. Apologies, apologies and what happened and all the rest of it. And 
uh, I, I said to her, look, right, I need to fucking talk to you because, like, there's going to be a real problem now. And I, I took her basically into a room and said, look, you are going to get us all killed because, seriously, your dad is going to fuck us up if he finds out you have been drinking, you have been taking coke, you got fucking shagged in an alleyway. And, you know, she was like, you know, oh, God, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. Yeah, you can't believe it. Yeah, we're supposed to be here to protect you, and you're not making it very easy, to be honest, Debbie. So she then burst out crying and put her arms around me and started with the, oh, he doesn't understand me. Oh, fucking hell. So that point, the door opens and birthday girl wanders in. I'd spent the night with Birthday Girl, and now I've got my arms around Debbie. Birthday Girl is pissed. She is not happy whatsoever <laughs> and laid into Debbie. Anything I've got you always want. And all oh, fucking hell. This this situation cannot seriously get any worse. Surely it cannot get any worse. Then there was a knock at the door. And somebody opened it. And about six or seven police officers walked in. Uh, one of them had a dog. And it wasn't an Alsatian. It was one of these little sniffer dogs. Some fucker, somewhere down the line, had grasped or had said there are drugs being taken at this house. Probably one of the neighbours, admittedly. Because I do believe that during the evening, a number of the neighbours came round. And considering where we were in the middle of fucking Mayfair, I'm guessing that these people were very well connected, which is why the cops came round. Anyway, we're all kind of being told, stay where you are, stay where you are. Cops are coming in, dogs going mental because there's more fucking white powder that you can almost ski down. <coughs> and everyone is just like, totally out of it we everyone everyone's handcuffed okay and we're all then sat down in various places around the house the main copper who seemed to be doing all the talking uh he was obviously some sort of detective something or other he wanted to know whose house it was and uh birthday girl told him you know whose drugs are they well we don't know uh what's your names and addresses so we had to give them all that they obviously ran ours through the police computer and red flags went off everywhere. They then decided to phone for backup. Well, three of the guys that I was with uh, were very well known to the police uh, back in Coventry. Far, I, I'd say I was probably known, but these guys were very well known. So they were just taken into a, outside and put in a van. And that left three of us. <clears throat> One of the guys got a little bit pissy with the cops when he was searched. He got put in a van. And I thought, for fuck's sake, there's only two of us left. Please do not do this. Anyway, the place was cleared out of anything that was left. And admittedly, I mean, that it was just a mess. Yeah, there was coke on tables and on dresses and places like that there was ganja floating around everywhere or, or the remains of ganja but there was nothing like there was no block of shit anywhere they couldn't they couldn't arrest anybody for dealing 
uh, is is what I was trying to get over. And so, you know, the cops just give everybody a big fucking bollocking about it all. And, uh, you know, just said, clean this shit up and, you know, all the rest of it. And uh, we'll be in touch with your parents. That's what they, they said to birthday girl. Now, on the way out, my mate with the flatulence problem farted. Now, I think he did it on purpose. <laughs> He thought it was hilarious. The police didn't. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't as if it was quiet. <laughs> he got dragged and thrown in the van as well. And that just left me. Now, because it was her house, birthday girl also got taken down the nick, but she got to go in a car. And off they went. Uh, now... I went back to the hotel with Debbie and uh, we basically said, we'll stick around here and see what, see what, you know, the boys are coming out. The police had no reason to hold them. So, you know, they were just being fuckers basically. So, and they, they would let us let the boys out. I'm sure the same day. Um, and, you know, I was waiting at the hotel for some, one of them to give me their one phone call. And me and Debbie just sat there <clears throat> and we sat chatting, you know, and we, we talked, for most of the rest of the afternoon about her life, how fucking dull her life was, how she was displaced because her, her dad was money, but he was criminal money. Whereas everybody that she knew their parents were something in the city or, you know, or lawyers or bankers and things. And she felt really out of it. And then, you know, she was telling us how she felt closer to us um, but of course, the dad didn't approve of her being seen with people like us. So anyway, it was probably, oh God, it must have been about seven o'clock. I didn't get a phone call all day. And uh, me and Debbie had sat there and gone through the minibar. And <laughs> um, we just, we decided that the best thing to do was just say fuck all to a dad or the very bare minimum that we could. And, uh, you know, that... That was what we'd agreed. The boys came back, all, right, all in a taxi, and came back to the hotel, checked in, came to see us, you know. And we said, right, okay, we've got tonight, and then tomorrow, like, we've got to head back first thing. So, you know, let's take it easy. Debbie, why don't you stay here again tonight? And, uh, you know, because obviously you and your mate have fallen out a bit. Although Debbie, you know, was going to phone her and all that and explain the situation. So that's that's basically what we did. You know, we we decided to do that. But the boys thought that, you know, it, it would be a bit of a waste if everybody had to spend the night at the hotel. Um, and that it might be an idea if we just maybe left one of us, two of us or whatever. And, uh, you know, they just, well, as I'd been talking to her all afternoon, I volunteered to stay. And my mate also decided to stay. And, you know, Debbie was going to phone her friend from uh, one of our rooms and kind of sort sort out all the mess and everything. So the boys went out and we went downstairs and had dinner. Uh, now, only me and Debbie had dinner because uh, my mate wanted to do some stuff. So only me and Debbie stayed and we had dinner. And we went back and we went back to my room 
and uh, you know there was only me and her at this point. I didn't know where my mate had gone, and we uh, we just stayed chatting, and you know we decided you know one drink won't hurt, so we went downstairs to the bar. We had a, a good few bevies in the bar. She was drinking champagne cocktails all night, and uh, you know we'd we were just absolutely fine. You know, I mean they were just chatting away as friends. And then we went back upstairs and I, I was like, I don't know where the fucking hell my mate's gone. Really don't. As it happens, he'd managed to pull, so, <laughs> which is why he disappeared. And uh, me and Debbie just sat there on the bed, just talking, talking away. And then, um, unfortunately, Debbie spilled a drink. And then she realised that, you know, she hadn't got any clothes with her apart from, you know, what she was wearing practically. So she said she'd go and put something else on. She went and got a dressing gown on. And uh, she basically lay on the bed in just this dressing gown uh, while her clothes dried. And, uh, you know, I, I was lying on the bed as well. Um, or I was dressed, but, you know, I was lying on the bed. And then, you know... She was falling asleep, I was falling asleep, and we both fell asleep on the bed. About four o'clock in the morning, we get a bang at the door. Now, I thought it was my mate who was going to come and take over. So Debbie went, oh, I'll get it. And I went, yeah, all right. So I said, well, if he's taking over, Deb, so I'm just going to, I'll have a piss and I'll shoot and sleep in one of the other rooms. So I went for a piss. Debbie answers the door. There's some shouting. I come running out of the bathroom, still with my fucking jeans undone, because they were button-up jeans in those days. The guy that was working for Tommy, who had sent us there in the first place, he was at the door, and he wasn't happy. Debbie's in a robe, and I'm there doing my jeans up. Oh, fucking hell. I just thought... This weekend just can't get any worse. It just can't. He was brought in and he grabbed me around the throat and he put me up against a wall and he basically said, I'm going to keep squeezing until your fucking eyes pop out your head and then I'm going to, get, I'm going to take them back with me and give them to Tommy. Debbie is screaming blue fuck because she knows, you know, that nothing's happened. But what had happened and that what we didn't realise had happened was when the boys had been taken down the neck, one of them phoned his brief. His brief, because he'd phoned his brief in Coventry and said, do you know anybody in London? We might have a problem. His brief had told somebody else who had told somebody else and this had got back to Tommy somehow. Tommy had fucking irons in the fire all over the place. Tommy had sent down the guy that had sent us to go and find out what the fuck was going on. Why, for instance, were all the boys, as far as he was concerned, in jail? And who the fuck is looking after his daughter? Well, anyway, Debbie sat and explained it to him. And uh, he took a lot of convincing. He really did take a lot of convincing. And what we also begged him to do was to not fucking tell Tommy what was going on. On the Monday, 
he kicked me out of the room that night, by the way. He stayed, sat in a chair. On the Monday, we went to go and get Debbie. She was gone. Me and the boys checked out, and we assumed that she'd gone back with Tommy's guy. We're all talking about this in the car on the way back, and we are just fucking adamant that, you know, we are going to die, basically. Now, we, we're we in a, a seven-seater, and it's not the fastest thing in the world. And it takes us a long time to get back. And there's a long time of sitting there talking about how your life is about to end. When we got back, Tommy asked to see us. And uh, we just knew. At best, at best, we could get away with a, a kick in. So we just take it. And then we plead ignorance, take it, and we walk away. We haven't done anything wrong. All that we've done is do the job we were sent down there to do really fucking badly. We went back, We went down to Tommy's place and Tommy's estate. His big fucking driveway and these big gates. Gates open. We drive in. We let in the front door and he takes us into, bloke takes us into this big drawing room. Tommy comes in with Debbie and he says, right, I know the SP now. I know what happened. And I want to thank you boys for taking such good care of my daughter. There will be a little something in your Christmas stocking. And I just wanted to say that if ever we're in that situation again, you are the people that I'm going to be turning to. And we're all looking at each other going, Say what? <laughs> Debbie had explained it in a completely different way. Um, Tommy also kind of looked at me and went, and you, son, you went above and beyond the call of duty. And I think the way that it had been explained was that she was feeling really shitty about having this spat with her mate. And that's why I was in her room. And basically that I was sat in a chair, which is why I was fully clothed. Reason that I got my cock out when he, <laughs> when he came in or I was doing my jeans up was I just had a piss. And he accepted that. He accepted it wholeheartedly as my explanation. It was all explained to him. Uh, and, you know, the fact that she got shagged in the alleyway, he never heard about. The fact that she'd got half a ton of Bolivian fucking marching powder up her nose, he never heard about. And for whatever reason, he assumed that we'd done a good job. As I'm leaving the house, Debbie looked at me and winked. And I just mouthed the words, thank you. And she mouthed the words, you're welcome. I like Debbie. She had, she had something about her, but she was a real fucking troubled child. She was, she was like an accident waiting to happen. And I think what happened to her after that bore testament to those thoughts. Debbie was arrested in the early 90s in Thailand. And 
as far as I'm aware, that's where she still is. She was moving some drugs for some guy. And, well, this is the way I heard it anyway. And uh, she got nicked at the border. And she's in the Bangkok Hilton. Or that's the last I ever heard of her. And I think maybe if Daddy had allowed her to mix with people of her own, of her own not type as such, but people who were more on her wavelength, she wouldn't have got in that much trouble. She was apparently with some oink who was trying to make a fortune. I don't know. He got busted as well, but um, he's better off in the Bangkok Hilton because if Tommy ever gets hold of him, he's dead. But it was just a shame, I thought, you know. Debbie was a nice girl. And her friends were nice. And got on quite well with them, considering the social difference, social class difference. But Debbie was never like that. She was in a, She was almost in a class of her own because she didn't give a shit who she was talking to, whether it was someone that went to Harrow or Eton or someone that went to the local comprehensive because those are the people I think she associated with far more, you know, than posh oinks. And I really think to this day, you know, if her dad had a letter, just live a life without trying to constantly push her to being something she wasn't, she'd have still been with us today. Maybe she still is with us today. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea what happened to her. Um, I didn't hear any mention of her uh, until I was talking to somebody in the year 2000 and he mentioned, you know, uh, something about someone else who uh, was in jail. And he said, uh, could be worse. Could be with Debbie in the Hilton, you know. So maybe she was still there. I don't know. But that was who Debbie was and that's Debbie's story. And that's a story of how fucking terrible a bodyguard I am. <laughs> I am just awful. <laughs> You'd think between six of us, we'd have managed to look after her for two fucking days, for Christ's sake. Oh, epic fail. Guys, this has been Ken. This has been the Ken Burton Show, and I do hope you've enjoyed this one. Debbie's story. And I will see you on the dark side. Take care. Welcome to the world of digital sound.